everyone. This is Katherine Yeager. Welcome to Inspired Teams, where we're curious about human-centered organizations. I'm joined by my friends and Semco colleagues, Wade Okanaka and Elise Latcher, to get their perspectives and experiences on how they bring progressive practices into traditional top-down companies. Many of us don't work for enlightened bosses, and we have a lot of empathy for people who want something better in this age of the great resignation. Yet there are managers and coach influencers who lead with practices that make traditional workplaces better. I call this a grassroots revolution. How does a middle manager in a global fitness company create a more human-centered team? And how does an account advisor nudge small business owners, in Elisa's case, veterinarians, into adopting self-management practices. Both Wade and Elise are aware of the power dynamics and shifted to be more human-centered rather than a top-down power play based on, quote, the manager makes the decision or just following the status quo. Wade has a soulful and resilient approach to creating a caring culture with his ops teams. He grew up and lives in Hawaii. His Hawaiian ethos really shines through. I love how Wade navigates a traditional title hierarchy with his agency and strong beliefs. And he exceeds his revenue goals and other metrics. He's a great storyteller. Elise, as we know from a previous episode, is super grounded in her nudging and advocacy of her human-centered beliefs. As friends often do, I lost track of time. So I decided to break our conversation into two parts so that it's time-wise more digestible. In this first part, Wade shares hiring stories to co-create engaged and loyal teams. He also shares how he handled colleagues that weren't performing and their reaction to him and how he handled the situation. I hope you catch Elise's giggles. In the second part, we talk about cultures of caring and how Elise uses accounting and KPIs to create caring cultures. And Wade brings in more stories. Here we go. Good morning, Elise. Good morning, Wade. How are both of you today? Good morning, Catherine. Good morning. Got up on the right side of the grass. It's a great day. Wade, I would love for you first to just share with us a little and the listeners a little bit about yourself. Oh, okay. Well, I was, thank you, Catherine. I was actually in the fitness industry. I worked for a couple of global gyms uh, for probably close to the last 20 years. Um, And yeah, I would be considered your middle manager. So, you know, our structure is, or the structure I was in was very heavy command and control. It was a standard pyramid type of organization where you had your your founders, your president, your uh, CEOs, your vice presidents and executives. And it filtered down to each location had a general manager. And then I was kind of an operations manager that worked under the general manager. And then you have the rest of your, um, you know, your staff from there, your field team. And so, yes. So um, this was a very national or multinational organization. Yeah. um, You mentioned command and control, big organization that was driven by the bottom line, growing membership. And so what were some of the experiences that you had that you had that really affected this command and control culture? Oh, you know, 
the way the setup, hmm, where would I start with that? I, you know, you, you were, each location was kind of broken up into sales operations and fitness. Uh, and the sales team was arguably the, the highest compensated, uh, you know, the, the, the mentality was, or seemed to be anyway, that the more money that position brought in, obviously we compensate you more because you're bringing more money into the organization. Uh, and, and maybe where I'm a little biased because from an operation standpoint, uh, we were kind of, uh, one of my bosses put it, or one of my mentors put it, the, put it best when she said, operations is like the heart of each location because we're the ones that interact with these people on a daily basis. Everything runs through operations. So even though you have the sales team bringing in new people, once the new people are in, they never really interact with them again. You know, and then the fitness team interacts with just people that are getting services from them. So they're not necessarily interacting with the entire member base, whereas operations deals with everything, with everyone. And so for us, um, that's what it was. Operations was the heart of the gym. Operations is what kept the kept the business going. And we were the least compensated group in the entire organization. You know, it was mm. it was a minimum wage position for most. Um, my position as an operations manager, I was the lowest paid manager or leader out of anybody, you know? And so, um, it's, it's kind of where, but we had to manage our expenses. You know, we had, we had budgets, we had all of these things we had to manage our profit and loss and, uh, everything was about managing profit. So it was cutting as much as possible, running as lean as possible, while still trying to make as much money as possible. And and so with that, in operations, you were considered more of an expense. Yeah. Because yeah. you didn't have really any influence over the revenue. And you probably it, yes. were not maybe given credit for continued membership. Yeah. Essentially, that's what it is, right? We're, we're the ones that are helping to keep members because in operations, you're, you have your customer service, your front desk, who handles really majority of the complaints that also come through. Uh, we handle all of the phone calls. You greet everybody. In my, my department also handled facilities. So we handle maintenance and cleanliness. Uh, you know, and the funny thing is, you know, members pay dues every month. So, you know, when you're in a location that does a couple hundred thousand a year, um, or actually a couple hundred thousand a month in recurring dues, uh, that's a hundred percent profit for the company. And that's dues management falls under operations as well. So we have a, a huge influence on, on that, you know, members that number one complaint for a lot of members was cleanliness. So if, if you can't have a clean facility, a lot of people quit, you know, or it's friendliness. And if you're not friendly and you're not efficient at the desk, people quit. So I think we had a huge influence in it. And, uh, you know, but that's not really how the company viewed it, right? They, they viewed it off of the dollars that you bring in. So, you know, a salesperson uh, can write 10000 to 20000 in revenue every month. And, and they're, and I, you know, there's a funny story. Uh, 
that I that can sum it up for you. So people got paid. We encourage direct deposit, but um, some people just prefer to get that live chat. And so as an operations manager, these live checks would come to me. And so um, I would have to hand these out. People would have to come to me to, to hand these out. And so the salespeople, one of them was this young kid. I'll never forget this day. This young kid comes in. He was probably like 20. He comes in. He asked me for his paycheck. I give him his paycheck. He opens it in my office. And I just see his face drop. And he's like, oh, my God, they take out so much taxes. And I was like, okay. You know, and I, I didn't pay much attention to it. And he goes, it's just, I can't believe it so much. I go, how much is it? And he reads me this amount. It's a four-digit number. And I remember going, you know, they took out more taxes than my actual check is as an <laughs> operations manager. That was extremely depressing for me. <laughs> extremely irritating. I told him to get out of my office. <laughs> but, uh... Um, but that tells you how it works, you know, like, they they make so much more and and it tells you where i stood as far as you know my compensation so yeah right that whole issue of compensation and value you bring into the organization mm -hmm. when you're looking at a strict salary kind of thing it often feels a little inequitable yeah. <laughs> so what given the command and control you have hourly workers who may or may not feel so loyal to the operation, depending on so many things that people equate to keeping a job or looking for a new job. What are some of the things that you were able to do um, within your purview? Uh, you've just described how the operations team has such a huge direct effect on keeping members and that reoccurring mm -hmm. membership. What were some of the things that you tried or share with us some of the things you did as an operations manager? Well, it starts with having the right mindset. And, and so something that changed with me over the years was I, I focused a lot on just trying to get my team in the right mindset. And so with, as I, as my team evolved, we, we settled on just a simple, how can I help? You know, that that was my motto. And it was, how can I help you? How can I help the customer? How can I help each other? You know, how how can I help? That was the mission that, that I set out to everybody. And then that was the goal. And so things were built around that. So if it was, you know, I... I I try to stress to people that I don't want to hear complaints without solutions. Um, I stress to them that if you're going to come to me with a problem and no solution, essentially you're complaining and you become part of that problem. So I wanted them to start to brainstorm and to think about ways to help. I, I didn't care how outrageous the solution was. Um, I just, I wanted to start getting them into that mode of how can I help? Um, and so that's how I approach everything. And it started with me. So I had to exemplify, like I, I had to show them, it, it was my way of building trust, 
right? So I had to show them that. So when they would, whenever I had to deal with an employee or whenever I had to have an interaction, it was always, how are you doing? Are you okay? Um, you know, even I, I remember, sorry, I'm kind of jumping all over the place, but I remember when you're, uh, you know, when you have an employee who's not performing well, you normally you get called into your manager's office, you get disciplined, you get written up, you get told all these things you're not doing. And so we had a, uh, we had a case, which is probably common in a lot of places where I had an attendant that was coming in late five minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes. And so my, my, uh, my supervisor for that department at the time wanted me to write them up and get rid of them. And so I said, okay, well, why don't you sit in? So we brought this employee in, I sat them down. And the first thing I said is, how are you doing? You know, what's going on with you? Are, are you, are you okay? Is there, is there anything, you know, and, and they were like, yeah, we're fine. I'm fine. Like, okay. Well, you know, I noticed you've been coming in a little bit late. Is there something that, um, I, I was concerned that there was something going on with that maybe you needed some help with. And I, I just wanted to know how I could help. And so, you know, the, the employee kind of looked at me, wasn't sure what to do. And then finally they said, well, you know, we're getting kicked out of our house and we have a week to get out. I'm like, I'm so sorry to hear that. You know, what can I do to help you? And, you know, do you need maybe some time off? And, and she said, yeah, you know, I, a couple of weeks would be great. It's like, not a problem. Why don't we give you two weeks off? And then you go ahead, you communicate, you let me know um, what we can do and we'll move forward from there, but just stay in touch with us. And, you know, so I just gave her the time off and wow, uh, she came back and after the two weeks, I go, are you sure you're okay? She's like, yeah, we're fine. Okay. So we, we bring her back to work, shows up late. So of course my supervisor's like, see, I told you it doesn't work. I'm like, hold on, hold on. So sat her down again, said, Hey, you know, what's going on? You know, I know we just kind of talked about it. Are you, are you settled in? She's like, we haven't quite finished the move. I'm like, well, do you need more time off? Cause I can give you more time off. And she said, no, I was like, okay, well, I just want you to understand because you're part of the team. You know, you understand that when you come in late, it affects the team in the sense that now someone else needs to say, so imagine if you had to leave and I tried to give it to her, her some perspective as to how her, how she impacts our team. And so she understood, we parted, we, we left, she left. And then she, um, she emails me later and she goes, wait, I was just, I just wanted to apologize. After our conversation, um, I realized that it's not fair to you or the team for me to constantly be late because that's letting you guys down. So, you know, what? I think it's best right now that I resign um, because I just can't, you know, I, I don't want to hurt the team and, and she resigned on her own. So, you know, the lesson was I didn't write her up. I didn't discipline. I didn't yell. I didn't do any of those things. All I did was I just showed some compassion. I just showed that I cared and that I wanted to help this person. And that was my priority. And she figured it out on her own. You know, she understood. She, she knew what our culture was. She knew what we were trying to do. And then she left because she felt that that was the best thing for her at the time. Hmm. And that's Super interesting. Really how I did a lot of the interactions. You know, it's it's not it's not as fast for people as doing the discipline, like the three strikes and you're out. It's a lot quicker to do that. Um, I think I think it brings up a, a whole separate topic that you can probably do a whole podcast or article on. But um, 
the whole thing about negative reinforcement, that was one thing that came up for me that I started to question, which is why is that a thing? Like, why is, why is that the most popular solution for most? Is it because it's the fastest? Is it because it's the easiest? Like, why is it that punishment seems to be the solution for most? You know, like someone does, it, does something wrong, we want to punish them. Like, that's the quickest. I don't, I, I can't figure that out. It's something that I still debate and I'm still trying to figure out why everything's always so negative. Mm. You know, the way I went, I agree is not as quick, but I still, at the end of the day, what I used to tell people is it's very easy for you guys to criticize and go, well, you should have just fired the person. Well, you're not making that call. I mean, I, I'm the one that has to ultimately make that call. So I have to go home at the end of the day, knowing that I fired this person. Like I'm the one that lives with that decision, not anybody else. So when you're not the one that's responsible for it, it's very easy to just second guess and go, well, you could have fired him. You could have done this. I could have because you don't have to live with that decision. I do. And yeah, so I think I'm it's, gonna, yeah. Yeah, I, it's also really interesting. I mean, there's a couple of things that come up um, for me when you said that, you know, if you have a complaint, you mm -hmm. also need to develop a solution, which is, of course, a mature way to do with this, deal with an issue. But it also manifests and helps another individual um, build autonomy. And yes. having them be responsible for improving the team and seeing what's going on. So, and also trust. Like, I trust you, you have a problem, but let's put a little trust in there so that you can develop a solution with mm -hmm. that. And uh, another thing that came up for me is the whole notion of power. It's really easy for me to exert my power and fire you. <laughs> That's my power stance, right? But by talking through it and having the individual realize that there's some changes that they can make. It really is a subtle transfer of power to have them step up and mm -hmm. be a little more mature in a, in a mm -hmm. situation. And you know, this, the, that it starts actually from the initial process, right? So um, when we, when I would do interviews fr from the actual hiring process, one thing that was really different you know, um, was that the attitude that I instilled in our in my team was we hire for attitude, we train for skill. We, we hired people that would fit our culture um, and worried less about what was actually on their resume. Um, it was about, as we interacted with this person, do you think this person is someone you'd want to work with? Um, and yet the, the thing that I think is probably very different that people may may or may not agree with is that my my mentality for that was again the how can I help mentality it started from the interview process so you know when when you interview people if you, if you've done interviews you know that a manager interviews this candidate you're thinking what is this candidate going to do for me and my company right it's about me for me, my, my mentality going into interviews was, what can I do for this individual? Even though they're not an employee for me, it was, how can I help this person? So my questions were usually, you know, what are your plans? Like, what are you looking to do in the future? And if they said, well, you know, I, 
I just need a job right now, but I'm looking to do this. I'm looking to do, you know, oh, great. You know, did you know that we can do this? Like I could probably, I, I was very upfront. I was very honest. Look, this is a minimum wage job. This is what um, all of the responsibilities. And then I tried to gauge what, why they wanted to work and what they were looking to do. And I tried to see what I could, what I could offer that would help them. Mm. It wasn't about so much what they were going to do for me. It was, it started with what I could do for them, even though it didn't work for me. And I have steered people away from the job by just telling them, look, from what you're telling me, you need money. You could, you could go elsewhere and get paid more to do less work, you know, and, and I, I don't know if this is going to be the right fit for you or, you know, this is what we can offer, you know, and this is what we can do for you. And I know, I never got offended. I, I know a lot of people get really irritated that, well, this person, you know, we spent all this time and then they quit after 30 days or they quit after six months and you're frustrated because you spent all this time training them. And I never, I, I never went in with that because it was always, again, how can I help? So if they were with me for 30 days, if they were with me for three months, for a year, I, what I kind of, my commitment to them was, look, I don't know how long you'll be with, with me, but my goal is to hopefully at least teach you something or help you in some way that when you leave, you leave a better person than when you came in. And that was my mentality. And that's how I approached everything. And that's how I built my wow. team. That's so amazing. I think that that's, I'd like to think that that helped with the culture and helped with the loyalty. But um, I had a lot of people that didn't plan, you know, they said, I just need a temporary job for like three months and they stayed with me for years. So. Wow. So amazing. Elise, I don't know if you, we just had a whole talk on hiring and Patrick Lexioni's hungry. Help me. Hungry, humble, and smart. It's interesting listening to Wade talk. In some ways, he's a little Tony Shea at Zappos who had that same kind of, of um, thought about he didn't want people working at Zappos who didn't fit in, fit in the culture. But I think, as, as again, as listening to Wade, there's a TV show on um, that when it began, New Amsterdam, and the, the doctor chief of staff went into it when his favorite phrase was, how can I help? And I think uh, Wade would be a very good counselor or social worker and for those of you that remember, I was a social worker in a former life and now am a CPA working only with veterinarians to help them achieve their goal. But as, as Wade was talking, there have been so many things that we as managers or upper echelon people in businesses have made part of our culture in dealing with people. And I think you know the, the first time you're talking with some of these old school CEOs and upper managers, we're going to bring them in and write them up. And I will tell you that writing somebody up is about the most worthless thing you can possibly do. And over the years, I've had times where we've ultimately terminated a relationship with a team member and they go and file for unemployment and the unemployment administrator comes in <clears throat> and ask for the personnel file, and you give them a personnel file that's three inches thick with all the write-ups you've done, and uh, unemployment says you get unemployment anyway because in your company, 
being written up. It's just the course of the day. You haven't really changed any behavior by what you're doing. You've put a piece of paper in a folder that said, stop what you're doing. And I think it's just so out of date and stupid on what we do. Uh, I think Wade is very forthcoming and very astute in what he's saying with having somebody coming to work for you and seeing how you can grow and develop them. In my opinion, that is what the job description is of a manager or supervisor. It's to grow and develop your team. Now, they're not all going to retire from you with your company, but having an employee working for you who really thinks that you care about them has got to be a better employee who just comes to work and puts in time on in your company. You know, Gallup has been tracking engaged employees since the 1960s. And with all of the training and all of the work and all of the things that we've done to try to make people more engaged with doing their work, the numbers haven't changed till the 60s. Almost two-thirds and to some extent, three-fourths of employees globally are not engaged with what they're doing. And in my opinion, I think the biggest problem with employees not feeling engaged is because nobody really cares about them. And yet when you have, we've done away in our veterinary clinics with performance reviews now for several years, we do quarterly at least check-ins with people where we just talk to our staff on a regular basis. How are you doing? What are your goals? What are you learning? These kinds of things. Now, I get beaten up all of the time with, Alicia, you're not really getting to the heart of the performance issues that employees are doing when you have your infamous check-ins. And I said, well, in all reality, we really do cover what they might be struggling with. But it's not from the negative perspective that Wayne's talking about. It's from the positive perspective is what can we do to help you perform better or enjoy or do better coming to work? Now, it's all about them. But I will absolutely tell you as an accountant that when your employees are doing better, the bottom line does better. Yeah, so I want to talk about that in a second. I'd love to first come back to um, what are some specific practices or changes that you made with the team to help them be more engaged or feel more engaged? Wade, you have a great uh, practice that you did with the tip jar. I'm wondering if you could share that because my understanding is that was something that you did that was outside of the norm of the rest of the organization. Yeah, you know, we had to play around with that a little bit. We had a tip jar in our in our juice bar area, and there were different ways of, you know, everyone had their thoughts on what was fair. Uh, you had people that wanted it where you distributed it evenly among everybody. Uh, just you take the entire amount and you just divide it evenly. 
uh, by everyone who works. Uh, you had people that were, well, I I sell more, I work longer, I should get more, and uh, and and there was a lot of complaining about it. And so I ran a lot of experiment experiments with it. I remember at one point I we were actually collecting the tips after every shift and we would collect it for the entire month. And I actually had a little spreadsheet that I made where I had all the employees, I had their hours and I took all of the money and I actually went in and I calculated percentages <laughs> and it was so much work. Wow. It was just not worth it, you know, and, and for a lot of a lot of these kids, like I said, it's a minimum wage job. It was nice for them to go home with something at the end of their shift, a little bit extra. You know, even if it's a couple bucks here and there, it's still something. And so um, we changed it to where, okay, so we would have a manager kind of at the end of end of the day, they would distribute the tips out. And then uh, after a while, I just started to ask, you know, why do I have to keep managing this? This is your tips. Like, why, yeah, why, why the I manager? So, um <laughs> So I told them, you know what, you guys figure it out, what you guys want to do. My only stipulation is that if I hear complaining, we'll just get rid of the tip jar altogether. Then you guys will have nothing to complain about, right? We'll just get rid of it. Like you, if, if that's what it is, then we'll, we'll eliminate the thing that's causing the complaints. You don't have to worry. You about are it. so smart, so Wade. You guys just figure it out. And so right. they came up with it on their own. They were like, you know what, why don't we just, they, they kind of at the end of each shift, the people that are working would just kind of like, okay, so they'd clear out the tip jar. They'd figure it out on their own. New shift starts, new tips, and never had to manage it again. Never had complaining. Everybody, wow. and in fact, people tried to give their tips to other people just because of the culture we had built. They were like, no, like I, I had my leadership team that would be working with them. And pretty soon they understood, like when I would jump in to help, I would have my team trying to give me some of the tips and I would say, no, 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 this is you guys. Like I, this isn't, I'm, I'm not going to take any of your guys tips and I would give it to them. And then my leads understood what I was trying to do. Cause I told them, look, these are minimum wage. They, they, I want to help them as much as I can. And so I'm not going to take any of their money. And my leads started to do the same thing. You know, they would help and they would, they would work shifts with them and they would kind of give all of the tips to the workers that we had. And I, I think that helped build a lot more trust and a lot more camaraderie with the team and, everyone started to kind of work with each other and they would start to kind of make sure like, Oh no, 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 here, this is yours. And you would even see um, people would leave and I would, I would open our safe and I would see these envelopes in the safe. They're like, Oh, this is this person's tip money. And then this person's tip money. And they would actually put it in envelopes for people that had left and, and didn't stay to grab their tips. So they would actually do it themselves and, and allocate it and, and make wow. sure that it, it got to them. So. You know, it's impressive to me. I mean, what I'm hearing, first of all, is like get rid of the bureaucracy, get the manager out of there, which is a big, you know, bureaucracy busting activity. But the, but the wonderful thing that I'm hearing is just the act of having the team distribute the tips. It ended up also reflecting the gratitude that they showed for one another and the self-respect that they showed for no one another. And that whole notion of gratitude and respecting the team, but being able to articulate that in words or action, or, and in this case, actual money, is really powerful. Yeah, it was, it was great. Uh, I, 
I think, um, you know, it, it's, you, you don't want to say there's peer pressure, but, uh, you know, there, there was a saying that I forgot where I got it from, but you can take a, a, a bad person and put them in a good environment and they're capable of doing good things and take a good person, put them in a bad environment, capable of doing bad things. And so I think because our culture was so strong, you know, in some ways you have a little bit of peer pressure because if someone wants to be greedy, not really going to last very long with my team because my right. team is going to call them out on it, you know, especially because they're surrounded by such good people that people yeah. tend to just be good people too. Right. Right. So, which yeah. is that whole notion within Morningstar, right? Ducker Patrick talks about that, how the teams fire teammates that aren't pulling their mm -hmm. weight. I mean, the team knows really what's going on. Um, so the if you've ever done a Nikki Case does a little exercise on trust, I'll put that in the show notes, which is a really fun thing, which is what you said. Like if you're around good people, you're all good. But those bad apples really pull down an, an entire team. There's also um, a practice that I came upon this fall called Love Berries, where you have so many um, imaginary pounds of berries that I give my berries to others in a show of gratitude. And that act is an act of caring, which also says, hey, you did a really great job here. I appreciate what you did there. And it makes gratitude an embodied practice, which I think is really great. So it's interesting, Catherine, if I could jump in here for just a moment. I think so many managers and upper management people think that we have to solve all of the problems because these are just, you know, hourly people who really haven't got a brain in their head and can't really solve any of their own problems. And yet when you flip that on its head and have them actually solving their own problems, they come up with much better ideas with much less drama than when we try to step in and tell them what they should do. Which again is the notion, it takes the pressure off the manager. The manager doesn't have to worry about that anymore. And, right. um, and wait, did you feel a sense of relief by that? Yeah, it was, it worked out so much better. And, and I love that the team was problem solving on their own. I mean, that, that was a whole uh, lesson was, was to kind of get them to uh, take ownership, right? And, and yes, take ownership. The entrepreneurship, right? It's, it's them kind of managing themselves. And so, yeah, it was, it was great. It's one less thing I have to worry about. You know, it's, it's right. something that I don't think I needed to manage. I was just there to, to act as a guide. Right. Uh, Wade, you had talked about other things that you had done to really hit your, your goals. I'm going to edit out this part of it, but I'd love for you to talk about other practices that you did Oh gosh, what was it? You talk about like the sales numbers that you had improved, but you've done a lot of things and your numbers went up, but they really didn't appreciate or didn't acknowledge the work that you were really doing. Yeah, you know, it's um every department had goals, you know, and, and so for operations, we we 
had retail goals and supplement goals and, and juice bar goals. And, uh, and so because we were so goal focused and so revenue focused, a lot of our day to days and our meetings and everything was built around knowing your numbers, which I, I think is important when you're in a business, you do have to know your numbers. Um, that that's part of, of the business. Uh, the funny thing is, whenever I had my meetings with my operations team, with my, my lead team, my change team, uh, numbers were 1% of my meeting time. Like I, I, I just did enough so that they were aware of what we needed from a business standpoint, because that's what the company cared about. Uh, but I spent more time on service, their development, uh, and other things not that I believed would contribute to our numbers. So um, it, it wasn't really where I spent a lot of time on it. Uh, but you know what's funny is is when you when you have a good culture, what happened was so getting back to the goals, like we had we had monthly award winners. So the top salesperson in the operations department got recognized. They would get this little uh, trophy and it was for like the top operations person who sold them sold the most so again keep in mind we're operations where we're built around service yet they were rewarding this operations person for selling the most retail for selling for bringing in revenue mm. that's what they were recognized for um and so that's what the award was and, and so they would also give an award for top operations manager um and i i Side note, I actually had them change that award because it's a top operations manager and then for the month, I requested that they change all the awards to top operations team because I told them it, it wasn't my award. It, it was a team award, you know, and um, wow. Words the thing matter. I would use is, um, is that individual awards are predicated on team success. And so... Uh, I told them it's not an award. Like I, I'm not comfortable accepting an award for something that it's my team. And so, uh, if you if you look at any of the awards I, I I had, it it was all switched to operations team of the month. Everybody else was operations manager. Mine mine whenever I want it switched to operations team. Um, but but there was recognition that came with it. And for my team, again, minimum wage. They earned commissions by selling, I think they had to sell at least a thousand dollars worth of product in the month to get 10%. It's basically a hundred bucks, right? And so the more you sold, the more you made. And so you had the same people usually on this report that showed all of the top operations people uh, for each for the company and then each location. And so um My my team, because of the culture, what they would do is uh, is try to see how many people they could help get to that thousand dollar mark, because they wanted everybody to kind of get commissions. So I remember my lead; I had the top salesperson, but at the same time, she actually would give up a lot of her revenue to start to feed other people to help build her team up, and so. The biggest example of this was I, I actually had nothing to do with this, but Black Friday was like our biggest retail day. 
And I remember going out, I remember working that day and checking on them and there would be this post-it note on the side of the register. And I was like, what is this? And they're like, oh, well, we listed all of the employees that are working today. And all we're doing is we're rotating the sales through everybody so that we could get, you know, we, we could be fair about it. We wanted everybody to, since it's our biggest shopping day, we want to make sure everybody got credit. And so they were just kind of going down the list. Whoever was <laughs> ringing up was just kind of rotating all of the sales through everybody that worked that day. And every month we would have the most people qualifying for commissions because my team would kind of forego those individual awards to kind of make sure that everybody, you know, was kind of being compensated and, and they were helping everybody out in that way. And, um, that is and amazing. That inspired other people to help other people. So, you know, I, I got my thousand, who's next? And then everybody's kind of doing that. And so, you know, the company wanted us to set individual goals for people. They wanted us to set shift goals. And I told them, well, that doesn't make sense though, because what happens if I set a $50 goal for someone and they hit the 50 in like the first sale? Does that mean they don't have to sell anything for the rest of the shift? Like that doesn't make sense. I, I told them, look, that this is kind of our numbers. This is what we need to do. And they'll figure it out. You know, they, they understand like some days we are good, some days are bad, but in the end, they all figured it out on their own, you know, and I think everybody helped each other out and that motivated them. Everybody was happier, which in turn turned into better service, which turned into people wanting to buy from them because everybody was friendlier. They were in better moods. And, and then that led to us just having the top revenue in the company, you know, and, and it's with me having very little focus on going over numbers every day. You know, wow. it's, it's just kind of just building the culture. That's what it was. Wow. So there's so many little, little things there that kind of spiraled on, e on each other yeah. for amazing. And during this time, you are um, not going along with the corporate edicts that are coming down. I mean, you had to swim upstream a little bit. And so how was that with your manager? And how, how did that play out? Did, they, did you get pushback from them? Did they acknowledge the kind of amazingness that you have the top revenue produce more top revenue producers? I mean, tell us about that. Well, um, because they were so goal focused and revenue focused, because we were getting results, it that ultimately is what they cared about, right? So um, even my manager, as, as focused as he was on the numbers, you couldn't dispute that we were hitting the goals that were given to us. And we were beating those goals by a lot. So as long as he didn't have to worry about that, left me alone. Uh, corporate, you know, I guess that's one nice thing about being in Hawaii. We're so far away from, from the corporate <laughs> offices. I don't have to deal with executives over my, you know, over my back like right. every day. And so we were kind of self-managed in that regard and that we were working remote, right? So uh, as long as I was providing the results they needed, uh, I was left alone. Uh, now, if they asked me for details on how I was doing it, they didn't agree. Uh, but it was hard to dispute it because I was getting the results. And what I, what I used to tell people was I'm not, it's not that I'm trying to be insubordinate. It's not that I'm not listening. I am listening to them and I'm, I'm following the spirit of what they want. I'm, I'm, I'm staying kind of within the guidelines of what they're trying to get us to do. But, you know, my uh, it's not the best mentality. It sounds very negative, but 
my mentality was, look, in the end, if I follow what they do and I see all of these people that are not succeeding with following step-by-step everything the way the company exactly wants you to do it, and they're getting disciplined or they're getting fired, if I'm going to get fired, I'm going to get fired for doing the right thing, what I believe (laughs) is the right thing. Yeah. Right. So I'm going to try to do what I believe is right. And I'm not going to break any rules. I'm not going to break any laws, but I'm going to stay within your guidelines, but I'm going to do it what I believe is the right way to do it. Um, you know, if it doesn't work out, I take full responsibility for it. So if we failed and we, we did it, hit our goals, I totally get it. That's my call. I, I, I own that. And so I was okay with that. Um, everything worked out. I mean, with the experience and, and over the years, I kind of knew I could adjust as I saw things not really working out, but for the most part, I was, I was fortunate to work with a lot of good people. I had a lot of, uh, my teams were, were great. That's, I had such good people around me. And so, um, we had, we had great success. And as long as I had success, they didn't really bother me too much. They wouldn't share it, you know, they, they didn't want me to share these things with other people because it was going against what they were saying to do. Uh, they didn't know, want it, you to share it. Oh, t- to other uh, facilities. Yeah. Because yeah, they were threatened so, by it because you were not going along with their thing. Yeah. I probably looked it. insubordinate to a certain degree just because it's, it's not following, you know, exactly what they're telling you to do mm. the way they're telling you to do it. And so, and so I'm curious if your team felt any pride that they had developed their own way. They were they were hitting the goals and doing well, but it was their methodology. Did yeah, they, you know, did they you'd, you'd, see that at all? Yeah, you know, it's kind of uh, they were proud. Like I, 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 I was proud because they always taught. Like, I, I was very flattered. They they referred to me almost like a proud kid for their parent you know they was like well my boss lets us we do this because my boss so if you have questions you should call him you know and and, um they would always refer other people complaining from other locations they would try to help them but then they would come and tell me and then they would refer that person to me to help try to coach them a little bit and they would actually you know, the shared learnings and the entrepreneurship, they would actually start to go to other locations and they would develop kind of a relationship with their counterparts in each location. And then they would start to share what we're doing after listening to them complain about all of these issues they're having at their locations. And then they would visit, um, they would kind of do their own walkthroughs of these facilities. They'd come back and say, hey, wait, you know, we saw this at this location and this at this location. And you know, we think we could help with this. So I, there's so much pride I have for them in that they, we had a new location opening up and usually we have to, we hire an outside cleaning service to clean it so that we can open up and look good. Um, my team formed a small little like 12 person team and they went out and they cleaned the gym for them. Like wow. they went on their own. They did it on their own time. They, they just kind of went and they, wow they cleaned the facility because they wanted to help. Like they, they knew they could do it. They, they knew, um, they just wanted to help. They were following that mentality that we had set up and, um, they would do those kinds of things. They would do trainings with other locations for their staff and whatnot on their own that I had nothing to do with any of this. They were kind of doing it all on their own. And, um, 
in which they would, they would take of, the principles and things that they were yeah. doing successfully with you and try yeah. to and for try the to pass others. it on. Yeah. And did was there any stickiness in those other operations? No, you know, um, the funny thing is, uh, the operations managers at one point, a couple of them were people that worked for me or with me before. So we had good relationships. So they would ask for help anyway, and we would we would um, more than willing to to help them. Um, so whenever they had to do trainings and whatnot, they would ask for help. And if I I couldn't go, my my lead team or I would have staffing that would go and help, uh, and they would reach out. I was, you know, coming up, I was raised in command and control, so I was very I'm I'm a I'm still known as a process and procedure person. Like I, I developed a lot of the procedures, a lot of the policies, a lot of the things were mine. Like I, I, I'm, I'm so good at it that when loss prevention couldn't come down to do an audit at one of my companies, they called me and said, hey, wait, can you do the loss prevention audits for your location? Wow. So they trusted me to go and audit my peers. Audit yourself? Yeah, I had to audit myself. I had to audit my peers and, and, uh, but it's because even though we had like an online or a, you know how you have those company manuals that have policies and procedures, people would call me. Sorry, I, I don't mean to sound obnoxious and bragging, but people would call me because it was faster than looking up the answer. So they would just call me to ask me what the policy was for this or what the procedure was for this because right. either I came up with it or I developed something for it or I knew it. Right. And it was just faster to call me. So. Right. I was very good at writing people up. I was very good at getting people fired. Right. <laughs> I was good at all of those things. So right. I completely understand how that process works. But over time, it just, there was more to that. It, it wasn't, it just, there wasn't any fun at work. Mm. work it seemed like people were working out of fear. So and, if, and are you saying that, that yeah. by following these procedures, that it wasn't any fun because the procedures, procedures were so tight or in essence, kind of like you knew what the procedures were. So you were able also to kind of throw the book out, as you said, with the tip scenario that you were like, this procedure doesn't make any sense. And really looking at a little bit beyond the rote aspect of the procedure to what the outcome was at the, on the other side. Yeah. I, I think it was, it's more because I understood the procedures and the policies my mindset shifted to what are we trying to accomplish, mm. right? And, and that's usually what I ask people is when they, when they would, when my team would come to me with problems or they were having difficulties with handling certain situations, my question somewhere in that conversation was, what are you trying to accomplish with this? You know, like what, what the end result, what are you looking to do? Because right. really that's what, that's going to kind of determine how you handle things. So with the write-ups and stuff, we're trying to correct behavior. We want them to, to perform a certain way. But going back to my original comment, is negative reinforcement really the best way to do it? Because it may correct things in the short term, but then this person then is only doing things out of fear. They're not doing things because it's the right thing to do. They're doing it out of fear. And that I don't believe you're ever going to get the most out of someone if that's why they're working. You know, I, I think when they're working because it's something they believe in, they're always going to give more. And so uh, that's why the shift in mindset. It was more just 
I don't think I'm really helping this person by writing them up. That, that's not the best way to do it. There has to be a better way. And, and that's why I kind of um, went away from it. I, it was an experiment, but essentially I never wrote anyone up for three or four years. So um, wow. it just didn't, mm-hmm. I, I didn't understand why we had to go that route. Yeah. Yeah. It takes longer, but you really are developing the culture. Yeah. And it, it's funny, you know, I had another person that was, had tardiness issues as well. And I would talk to him and I'd say, Hey, you know, you really, you know, he didn't really have a good answer for me. He goes, wait, honestly, I just overslept. Or So he knew he was being irresponsible. I told him, look, you, you did it so many times. You understand how you're hurting the team. And the next time, I mean, I was, I wasn't the operations manager at the time. So I couldn't make the final decision, but ultimately they said, look, this person, not sure enough, you got to fire him. And so the funny thing is the way I went about it by, by trying to coach this person, ultimately he showed up late. He came in, he looked at me, he put his head down, he walked up to me. And then I talked to him, you know, what happens, right? We, we, we've talked about this. He goes, yeah, I'm fired. Aren't I <laughs> like, it's not my call right now, but you understand what's happening. Cause where this here. is going. Yeah. You know? And, and he goes, you know what? We terminated this employee. He shook my hand. He thanked me, even though we terminated him. Wow. Just by creating awareness around this. And yeah, you know, it's just, um, I think that's what it is, right? Someone, someone being terminated shouldn't know why, like they, they, it shouldn't be a surprise to them. Right. So I think I built a relationship with this kid that he understood and he knew, and I, I appreciated, he respected me enough. And I mean, he shook my hand when we were terminating him. Wow. You know, and he thanked me for helping him. So he understood wow. the situation and but that's how we And hopefully in his next position he's not late. Yeah. Hopefully like he learns something. Right. The whole thing <laughs> is, is making sure that people learn and, and are better when they leave. So. What did you think of Wade's gentle yet persistent style of awakening the agency and his colleagues? I hope you'll listen to part two of our conversation. Elise shares how she infuses her accounting perspective with human-centeredness. Well, that's my language. She says we should stop parenting children at work. And Wade brings in more stories. The show notes have links where to find Wade and Elise and other things mentioned, like Jordan Lyons' Love Berries. What inspired you from this conversation? Do you have one idea, even a small one, that you can turn into a little experiment? Is there someone you can share this episode with who would benefit from an invitation to experiment? Thanks for listening. I'd appreciate hearing your feedback and any takeaways. Find more at inspiredteens.org.